Listen up. Here's a fact that will blow your mind. You ready? By 2100, 11 billion people will live on this planet, and 10 billion of them will live in cities. Yep, that's right, 10 billion. These people will move around, they'll commute, go shopping, drop kids off at school, and visit parents in the suburbs. They'll have goods shipped to their doorstep, groceries probably also delivered. Oh yeah, and then there's dinner too. As the number of people living in cities increases, so will the pressure on our urban mobility systems. What if I told you that the sound of a city didn't have to be this cacophony of cars, trucks, and trains we just heard? What if it sounded more like this? I do like the sound of that. Still pretty busy, but a lot more pleasant. We all know moving around in cities, especially during rush hour, is an inescapable source of daily frustration for us city dwellers. But what if we moved in different ways? What if it could be effortless and easy? And the resulting question is, how will we design cities in the future to encourage individual mobility while still making the most of the public space we have? Does this sound like a crazy, we want it all paradox? Or can it actually be done? I am Ricardia Bramley. This is Future Dimensions. And today, we're looking at the future of cities. More specifically, we're going to get some answers to the question, how will we get from A to B in the future? But before we go downtown, let's return to that second city we heard earlier. What is happening, or rather, what is not happening there? The year is 2100. Let's go. Hey, Mercedes, are you ready? I sure am. Hop on in. This is going to be a wild one. Hey, Mercedes, see that farm scraper over there? That's the one. That's where my new office will be. Isn't it beautiful? I love the idea of growing crops on a building full of office spaces. And my apartment would be right around that corner over there. See that? Fifth floor, corner balcony. And it's only a three minute walk to the office. Not that I mind my daily drives with you, but just think about all the extra sleep I could get in the mornings. Moving to this new part of town would have its advantages, even though driving you to work is my favorite part of the day. Aw, we'll take lots of weekend trips, I promise. And in any case, I still haven't decided whether I should actually move here. Wait, can you play the video the real estate agent sent me one more time, please? Welcome to Futura, Earth's smartest hub nestled next to high-tech Singapore. Our DNA thrives on smart technologies, solar panels, and rooftop gardens, promoting sustainable energy and urban farming. Futura's buildings are energy neutral, and urban hubs place amenities within an easy stroll. In our streets, autonomous vehicles and robo-taxis ensure the safety of pedestrians and cyclists. Fancy living in a city built for the future? Join Futura today! Huh, it does sound inviting. Smart buildings, less traffic, and it's just so very green. I could totally see myself living here. 
And since you're fully autonomous, you could come along too. And yet I feel that you're not fully convinced. Well, it looks like fun and like everything's taken care of, but what about the community spirit? The city is gorgeous and all, it's just... Everything's so brand spanking new. I mean, I'm not sure it's the right vibe. Well, not yet anyway. What is the city but the people, am I right? Although someone needs to make a first move. I know you're right. I have to think about it. Now let's get me a farm scraper salad somewhere. Wow, that was some trip. All right, back to the present. I don't know about you, but when people start talking about smart cities and the future of urban mobility, my brain instantly fills with images from my favorite sci-fi films. Fritz Lang's Metropolis, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, and Steven Spielberg's Minority Report. Each one was packed with fantastical explorations of the future. Flying cars, jetpacks, highways in the skies, and of course, a healthy dose of automated machines. The funny thing is, nearly a hundred years on from Metropolis, we're still not there yet. But are we still heading in that direction at least? Will urban areas in the future look anything like these fictitious celluloid cities? And if so, what will the transport system look like? I'm really excited about the two very special guests today. They had some super cool and inspiring answers. I think cities have always been radical. I mean, look at Central Park. What an idea, right? You know, back in response to issues we saw a century or two ago and the introduction of tree-lined boulevards throughout Paris. Um, here in Chicago, reversing the flow of the Chicago River. I mean... These are ideas, they're radical, but they're also disruptors. And I, I think it's really important that we challenge best practices to come up with new ideas. That was Doug Voigt, the Director of Urban Design and Planning at Skidmore, Owings and Merrill in Chicago. For nearly three decades, Doug has been shaping the changes we've been seeing in some of the world's greatest cities, focusing on turning abstract ideas into plausible and workable realities. And he's not the only disruptor out there. I'm delighted to have a second urbanist come on the show. Professor Greg Clark is a global advisor, author, and chair of the UK-based innovation accelerator, Connected Places Catapult. I think the thing that we now recognize is that cities have a certain kind of magic to them. And you could describe the magic as, of cities as being the ability to synchronize human behavior in very large numbers by encouraging humans to share a, a transport system or to share a housing market or to share a, a set of educational or cultural amenities and facilities. And when they do that well, magic occurs. We get innovation, we get creativity, we get civilization, we get huge breakthroughs in ideas, we improve quality of life, And of course, we encourage social mobility. So cities are the greatest invention of humankind. And without cities, we would not be civilized. Greg really gets it when he says the word civilization. We've always used it to describe the rise and fall, the very evolution of humans living together in cities. What's really going to make us stop and wonder is this. We're on the cusp of a global population explosion that could blow this concept into pieces. Let's look at some of the most surprising figures. 
Hey, Mercedes, tell me the latest population forecast. I can certainly do that for you, Ricardia. From 1980 to 2080, the percentage of people living in cities will double from 40% to 80%. The number of people living in cities will quadruple from 2.3 billion to 9.3 billion. That's by 2080. By 2100, roughly 10 billion people will live in approximately 10,000 cities. Hello, can you spell claustrophobic? Sounds like a recipe for disaster with mass overcrowding of apartments, chronic pollution choking our streets, and not-so-green spaces, gridlocked roads. Geez, where do I not sign? However, Greg argues that even in that future scenario, cities will be the go-to solution. Human population is elastic, but our planet is finite. So it creates this really huge, almost existential, certainly anthropological question as to what's the best way to accommodate 10 billion people on a finite planet. Is it better to spread them out so that everybody has a little bit of space themselves? Or is it better to concentrate them in cities where the advantages of concentration uh, can be achieved And I think you'll find that on almost every version of the answer to that question, the economic, the social, the environmental and the financial advantages come with concentrating people in cities. So if humankind is going to grow to these numbers and we're going to stay on one planet, cities are the solution to that challenge. Okay, so cities are here to stay. But what will they look like in the future? Doug, what's your take? They'll be better. Clearly, we'll see new development. We'll see increased density. We'll definitely need to see new types of housing and and mixed-use projects. Well, I think we're going to see a rethinking of public space. Um, But it's also about a repurposing of space that exists today, including streets, the role streets play and and who they serve. Um, Here in Chicago, we propose this um, new transit system that would use 90% less energy. 90% less energy? Okay, how can that possibly work? It's quite simply an on-demand public transit system, autonomous vehicle that uses existing easements. These shuttles could join or depart these new AV expressways to complete their routes. And these are throughout the city, express lanes and the freeway, underutilized rail corridors. Perhaps they could even use the subway infrastructure when uh, those trains aren't running. And it would really start to enable more of a door-to-door commuting pattern that's on-demand and flexible. Um, It's it's this sort of branching network out to communities uh, throughout the city. The idea of utilizing what space we already have just in a much more efficient and environmentally friendly way sounds like a plan. According to Greg, though, what also matters in cities is how we build connections. Well, um, connectedness is the most important ingredient that any city has. The most important connections are the physical connections, the ones that are to do with transport and mobility. Some of them are vertical. They're elevators, they're lifts, they're escalators, they're other kinds of things. But the horizontal forms of connections, the transport systems and mobility, are the critical things that shape the way the city evolves. We've understood that cities attract people with the sheer convenience of living. But aren't we forgetting something? 
For most urbanites, cities are just very cool, vibrant places that are full of energy. People are drawn to a city in unparalleled ways. Suburbs or the countryside simply couldn't match that energy. What was it that the English writer Dr. Samuel Johnson said in the 18th century already? When a man is tired of London, he is tired of life. That is so true for me anyway. I think the other often overlooked aspect of connectivity is how we connect on an emotional level with a place and how design helps to highlight that connectivity, that uplifting experience um, that can only be achieved there. And isn't it just amazing how cities around the world are so different from each other? We've got old cities, walkable cities, ancient cities, vertical cities, mega cities, smart cities, and much more. They all have their pros and cons, but in their essence, they are different. As we look into the future of urban planning, how important is it that we maintain the sense of identity? So for the last 10 years, I've been developing a project called the DNA of Cities, where I look at the individual sort of genetic code of the city and try to ask the question, how can this city, as it were, build more upon its distinctive, unique genetic endowment, play more to its unique strengths? And if we did that in every city, we'd end up with 10,000 cities that were so individual and unique that every one in its own way uh, would be attractive. And, And that's very important. It probably follows that Greg is no advocate for those next-century cities that claim to offer a revolution in urban living. Projects like The Line in Saudi Arabia or Bill Gates' Belmont in Arizona promise a utopian standard of living. But they run the risk of being disappointingly similar, as if they were just clones of each other. We need urban laboratories because cities are the most important invention that humankind has created. So without laboratories and experiments, we can't further the science of cities. So all of these are important, but let's not think that what we're trying to do is move the people who are living in the existing cities to these new cities. We want the technologies that are built in these new cities to move to the existing cities. That, I think, is the quest. Part of me thinks that these experimental, money's not an issue projects have a place in our future because they are so visionary and inspiring. Very human motivators. And where would the world be without a little scientific exploration? Evidently, Doug's feeling it too. I think all of those projects are interesting, but I think we need to remember that cities are about people and how and where we interact with each other and with nature is of the highest importance. Okay, so this is where we're at. Cities play an important role for humankind. But in order to continue to do so in the near and far future, we must try to figure out how to keep our cities' unique identities. If we want the city's organism to thrive, we have to go to the next level with visionary ideas and tech. So what impact will things like AI autonomous mobility, and clean technologies have on our cities in the future. It's fascinating. We've been doing a lot of interesting work uh, with AI. Most recently uh, in the city of London, we looked at the relationship of urban form, of microclimate and thermal comfort that uh, one experiences at the street level, but also the concentration of airborne pollution or carbon in the air and found ways to provide greater guidance to how we might look at built form, 
how we look at the role of public space. As we look forward to the future and we see cities becoming more dense, perhaps this could be a way we refresh our policies to more holistically address livability uh, in our cities, as well as carbon, energy, uh, and the other resources that are vital to our existence. Well, it seems like technology isn't just about the big flashy solutions like flying cars and mega scrapers. It's about operational efficiency and just making things work. So technology is actually changing the nature of urban economies, uh, generating a whole new series of jobs from uh, screen industries to life sciences to biomedical to all of the new industries that are emerging in the environmental space. So whether it's clean tech, climate tech, prop tech, plan tech, transit tech, or any of those, these are all the new urban industries. These are the industries that are creating the jobs of the future in our city. And of course, some cities are better at commercializing those technologies and building those new clusters of jobs than others are. So technology overall is pretty important. Technology is changing the very nature of cities, often for the better. But there's a catch. It's not just about throwing tech on a problem to fix it. Instead, you want to apply the tech selectively, especially when it comes to an issue all cities will need to address. And I assume you all know what it is. Bit of a green elephant in the room, am I right? All right, folks, let's talk about climate change. Thinking about everything we've covered so far, there's no doubt we're going to have to pour billions into construction to accommodate all these extra people, new systems, new mobility networks, new technologies. So how on earth are we going to strike a balance between what we add to the planet versus what we take out? We've been developing this idea we've called the urban sequoia. And it's very exciting uh, research where we begin to see buildings in a way where they perform more like forests, where they not only sequester carbon in the air, but they have the capacity to reduce both operational and embodied carbon by moving away from an additive approach to systems and construction to one that is more reductive, integrated. And through that research, we, we took that approach and applied it to streets, applied it to blocks within cities, and tried to understand if there was a potential for this new climate infrastructure. And what we found was quite exciting that By taking a fresh approach, not just the landscaping, but the materials, for example, using carbon-absorbing brick in the sidewalks or concrete within the streets. Just based on our research and our numbers, we could see up to 120% of carbon being absorbed within that street. And this is really exciting because there's an opportunity here with not only the need to replace aging infrastructure, but to integrate future mobility while addressing the issues of climate change all together. Carbon-absorbing concrete? Hmm. Back in our third episode, we talked about houses made of mushroom material, but that's a first for me. I guess coming up with alternative building materials and technologies is the only way our cities can thrive in the future. If we just keep piling layers on top of each other, it will collapse faster than you can say House of Cards. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And uh, and perhaps the simple way to put it is that we need cities that are clean, connected and compact. One thing is certain. Cities are ever-changing, adjusting to new circumstances, technology and needs. 
How we move between and in those cities must follow suit. We need transportation that can meet those demands. I'm talking, of course, about cars that will hopefully travel on those carbon-absorbing roads Doug just mentioned. How will they evolve? For centuries, the motor car has been our favorite way to travel. From the horse and cart days to the arrival of the very first automobile at the turn of the 19th century, to today's future-focused, hyper-intelligent, software-driven, semi-autonomous vehicles, the car has been an essential part of everyday mobility. Question is, is that still a thing of the future? And if so, what sort of vehicles will emerge? Firstly, I think that motor car is going to be a key part of our multimodal transport systems. If you like, we won't have systems where it's only car or, or only not car. Car is part of the solution. Well, thank goodness for that. I was beginning to think our experts had forgotten all about me. I've got so much more to offer. The second feature is that our motor cars are going to become much, much more intelligent. They already are. And we're beginning to see how cars are interacting with their environments in an interpretive way, how they're adjusting to uh, uh, weather conditions, how they're interpreting the requirements of the people within the vehicle, the conditions on the roads. And as we get more intelligent vehicles, we'll also get smarter roads And it's the relationship between the vehicle and the road is going to become a very intelligent, interoperable relationship over the next period of time. But the future of the motor car is not just electrifying, it's electric. We're all agreed on that, right? Of course, electric vehicles is the future for passenger transport. And we will see, of course, other kinds of vehicles emerge for long distance, particularly for freight activities. Those vehicles that are electric will also be much more frictionless. A lot of the pollution that comes from the motor car at the moment is where it interacts with the road. It's the tyres and other things. And we'll, we'll severely reduce all of that friction. And autonomy is going to play a very big role in all of that in the future. Ah, yes, I was waiting for someone to talk about that one. Autonomy. It sounds like every day we're inching closer towards those self-driving pods we've come to love in sci-fi movies. For city driving, it will change everything, won't it? I can just see myself getting ready for work in my car because I don't have to pay attention to traffic. Hey, I could meditate while getting there, perhaps. Plus, we'll have faster, cleaner and more punctual travel patterns. What else can we expect from the whole autonomy trend? I would call it safety that um, road traffic accidents will be radically reduced uh, in the future. And a lot of this is because the vehicles will become more intelligent. We might even say the car is going to become more conscious. And uh, the consequence of this is that I think what we're really doing is we're now shaping cars for the cities of the future. We're not shaping cities for the cars of the future. And I think that that's going to be a very important transition and cars will have a significant role as we move forward, as they become safe, intelligent, autonomous, electric and multimodal. I love that. The car adjusting to city living and not the other way around. Sounds like a win-win to me. That got me thinking, if we could take more traffic off the roads and make better use of other spaces in the city, like the waterways and airways, wouldn't that be cool? I believe so. I, I think you're seeing this in other parts of the world where waterways are a primary mode of transport. 
you know, back on Sydney, the ferry system there is unlike anything I've ever experienced. You mentioned the airways and, and there's all this personal mobility that's being explored within cities. I think it's all on the table. The real question for us as designers is how do we design and integrate that into our urban plans so that there is convenience, there's safety, but there's also equity. That mobility is about choice and it's about broader understanding of economic mobility and equitable policies throughout our cities. And I suppose if we can be more efficient in our transport and infrastructure and choices, we can design a city that brings people closer together, right? The desire to create a city of shorter distances, I think, is in everyone's best interest. Again, back to time, back to resources, the notion of being local and tapping into the uniqueness of that. You can then sort of back out and look at the fact that cities are really about movement and flow. And again, looking at research in other ways where we can leverage technology, where we can leverage uh, advances in mobility to make that experience all that much better. Movement and flow. Now that sounds good. Do you have any examples to make it a little more three-dimensional for us? Here in Chicago, we um, did this uh, research effort. We called it the Green Weave. It was really finding a way that every resident of Chicago could be within a five-minute walk or bike ride to a park. And that was through repurposing of underutilized streets, abandoned railway easements, reclaiming space on very wide boulevards. So you take the Chicago personalized transit component with this idea of a green weave within the city of Chicago and its park and river system, lakefront. And you get something that's very impressive when you talk about the future of cities. Wouldn't it be great if every city had that amenity close at hand and connected to mobility? Oh my God, yes, wouldn't it? This would be great. Let's recap for a second. In the space of just half an hour, we've taken a whirlwind tour around some of the world's greatest cities, and looked at the makeup of the streets, green spaces, buildings, and transport systems. We discovered that cities generate social, digital, institutional, and physical connectivity. We found a few start-from-scratch megacities that will be blessed, or cursed depending on your point of view, with unlimited investment and possibilities. Successful cities will always offer a sense of community and the experience of being in a particular place, This is how identity and connectivity are built after all. Sharing research and new concepts around mobility will only benefit and accelerate these concepts. And if we put an emphasis on equity, climate change, and a broader understanding of connectivity, we will see positive changes beyond our wildest dreams. This was Future Dimensions, a podcast brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. That's it from me, your host, Ricardia Bramley. Please don't forget to subscribe, comment, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be taking a tiny break, but we'll be back before you know it. Until then, stay tuned and stay curious.